Alrighty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Humans Being Humans. I am here with my friend Cam, and we are here to talk about Pride Month. Um, it's June right now when we're recording, so Cam, take it away. Do you want to introduce yourself and talk about your experience? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name's Cam. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I um. Oh, gosh, where to start? Um, so I identify as queer and gender fluid. Um, and I've been out and, I don't know, relabeling myself constantly since I was in high school. Um, in the past 10-ish years, I've been really active within the queer community around me, um, doing Pride Alliance clubs and uh, running them in college and my undergraduate career at Framingham State, and I've also been involved with an organization called the Northeast um, LGBT Conference, where we uh, create a conference every year for mostly undergraduate students, um, just kind of to give them a place to get resources, connect with one another, um, learn from one another, and all that fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, and now I'm currently I'm getting my master's in social work so I can work with uh, queer parents and queer foster kids in the system. That's really awesome. I didn't realize that that was your end goal for your degree. Yeah, it is. I actually just got a, a, a real life big kid physician too, which is my, my first big kid job. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be a foster licensing coordinator at a private agency starting next month. So I have no idea what it's really going to be about, um, but I'm really excited. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, when we're off of the podcast, remind me, I'm friends. My, one of my best friends is in charge of doing like, I, I don't know how to explain it. She's like starting this really cool program in the Massachusetts foster care system. So like that could be a cool ally for you. Heck yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, okay. So mental health wise, where do you feel like we should start. Um, do you want to talk about your journey with mental health in the LGBT spectrum? Or do you want to talk about just like some of the stats out there? Um, well, I can talk about myself. Because um, I don't know if I'm super uh, uh, not uh, <laughs> all of the stats. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there are a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, be I believe that. I know I've looked at them before. They're just not something that has stayed in my brain, sadly. Um, no. <laughs> but for me, uh, let's see. So like growing up, I didn't have uh, a lot of support regarding mental health, just because I think our parents generation, uh, for them, it was kind of a taboo thing to talk about. Um, I don't blame my parents at all for this because, um, you know, that was just kind of how society was and that's how they grew up. And I understand. Um, and if anything, they're actually doing more work now about like in regards to mental health, which I'm really proud of them for. Um, but for me, like they weren't super supportive of it because I, I just I don't know. They, they probably didn't even know where to start. And so um and even going back to like school and things like now I've been, <laughs> I've been diagnosed with so many different things from like OCD to ADHD to like having anxiety. And it's like all these things that could have been dealt with when I was younger, but because it just uh, wasn't something that 
people were taught to look out for as much. I think when we were, you know, in like elementary school and uh, high school, at least where the, my school, but um, yeah, that's, you know, um, uh, but no, you know, I, oh, I have a comment on that too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important. So, well, side note, me and Cam actually like know each other personally and we grew up in neighboring towns. So like we have nice. some commonalities. So if you hear us talking about like when we grew up and things like that, that's why. Um, but also like the mental health education in schools when we were growing up was horrendous. Yeah. Um, I think it's starting to get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, my clients now will talk about like, oh, like in health class, we're learning about mental health and they talked about what you talked about, Danielle. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> but like for us, like I'm, I'm assuming because we were in nearby school districts, you had similar, similarly experienced that there wasn't really anything at school that taught us how to be well. It's true. It definitely. And even if they went over, you know, those, the basic, uh, like vocab and things like that, um, they didn't necessarily go over like self care or the things that they, a lot of students do now, which is really cool, but not just like in health class and education, but also like the work that like school social workers do, for instance, and just like the awareness that teachers have these days versus when we were in school, like I know um, just from the the work I've done in my program that it's so much more um, it's so much more of a priority for teachers and school social workers and administration and anyone to really pay attention to like students' behaviors and when they seem off, um, then you know they typically or they're supposed to. Uh, see about their mental health before, you know, like um, disciplining them in any way. And a lot of times kids just need like an IEP or like to switch up their learning environment or just like, it could be the smallest thing um, that they need instead of like discipline, which I feel like, again, for us, I think I would just get like sent to the principal's office if I was yeah. you know, being fidgety or whatever, when in reality, I just had ADHD. So it's, you know, there's so many different pieces to it. Yeah. And so bringing it back to the LGBT section of things, yeah. I don't know if you experience this or not, but what I see in a lot of kids is that um, their mental health is a lot more, uh, what word do I want to use? At risk, I guess, is what we'll go with. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't even, like, if you have one adult that supports you as a uh, person that identifies in the LGBTQIA community, your chance of committing suicide, like decreases, I think by 50%, but I'm not positive on that statistic, but it's, it's really significant. So how was your experience with that and being a kid and figuring out who you are and all that stuff? Hardcore. Um, for one, like there wasn't even an LGBT club or anything like that in my school. I don't even think there was anyone out in my school, like until I was a sophomore. Um, and then there was maybe one person that came out and then like, I started to slowly come out with a couple other people, but there was like, you know, like four or five of us. So, you know, we didn't have any, any person or any people to look up to, um, in that. And there wasn't any real support. Um, so, and there was a lot, I mean, I felt like there was a lot of shame around it in 100%. like kind of our, 
parent group and um, just like the adults that were surrounding us. It was like kind of like a hush hush thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, it was definitely hush hush. It was also extremely um, like there was a stigma around it. There was a stereotype around it. Um, and there was also, uh, you know, it's like you could either be at that point, you know, in like 2009, you could be gay, um, you could be bisexual, um, or you could be straight. And those are like the only options. Right. Um, and there was a stereotype about that. And once other, once other people found out about it, you know, you would get stuck in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't healthy either. There wasn't any sort of, uh, like safe space to explore, um, right. You were, as you were trying to figure your, uh, figure everything out. Um, I think so. Like for me, I think you were one of the first people I knew personally. And like, that must've been super overwhelming for you. I like, remember like talking to you about some of the stuff. And I, afterwards I was like, oh my God, like I probably shouldn't have asked all these questions, but I've never been exposed to anyone before. I've never had an adult in my life to talk about these topics. And I was like, I'm not a book learner. I can't, I like, I can't go and Google shit like that. Like, that's just not how I learn. Like I need to learn by talking to somebody and like, I'm sorry for that experience. No, I, if anything, I feel honored. Um, <laughs> I like, I'm glad that I was able to do that for you. Um, but it's true. Cause when you think about that now, like, uh, that is something that could be a toll on people's mental health um, right. and those in the community, um, you know, cause it, even though like, you know, we're queer or whatever, like when people come up to us and want to ask us all these personal questions and all these things, like that takes a toll on us and not only in doing it, but also in saying no and like trying to have boundaries and stuff right. like that, like that's, that can have a negative impact on people's lives. And it's not, you have to remember, like, when you want to know things about the queer community, you need to ask for a lot of consent on, like, and figure out, like, who is it okay to ask these questions and who is it not? Um, and also, oh, I was going to say something else and then I forgot because <laughs> I'm on a roll there for a second. But, you know, it's important to, like, pay attention to those impacts. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that's not talked about a lot is like, I think we're hearing a little bit more of it now with like the BIPOC community. Like you can't just Mm -hmm. rely on black people to educate you about black culture. And it's the same thing about queer culture is like, we need to be respectful. Like queer people aren't on display in a zoo for you to ask questions and learn about them. Like exactly. It's not our job. Which is why I'm so excited that you're here being able to help people get some education and get some knowledge. And hopefully we can try to find a few places that we can point people to at the end of this podcast. And if not, I'll have something on my next one because I didn't. Oh, well, I guess I have a couple in front of me. But anyways. <laughs> um. So what was it like for you? Um, like going from like the childhood exploration to like, I feel like now you seem very like solid in your identity and who you are. Like, how has like the mental health switch been from like those two eras of your life? Does that even make sense? (laughs) No, I got you. It's been really crazy. Um, it's, 
I, I just, I want to say like, I, ha I wouldn't have gotten anywhere if it wasn't for my community. And that goes, you know, that ranges from my close friends that I've had who are in the queer community who like, I feel comfortable telling anything to, um, all the way to just like anybody within the community, uh, even if I don't know them super well. Um, and that's hard to talk about, but like, or to explain, but for being in the queer community, it's like you have support kind of all over. Um, like I know queer people that live literally all over the States and like, it's really cool to think like that I have their support no matter what. Um, and like, for example, in uh, the past week, um, there's a Facebook group um, in where in the place I live that is only for the queer community, like in this area. Um, and it's kind of like a knowledge exchange and just anything that people need help with. It's kind of just like us, like we're all in it and we just kind of ask each other questions and support each other when needed. And someone posted something that was kind of dark and it was clear that they were not really in a good mental state at the time. And there were like a hundred comments on that post within like 10 minutes of it being posted of people from all over the city and um, nearby cities even just reaching out, offering their support, you know, talking that person down, just so many different things. And it's just crazy to think that how how on top of it our community is. And it's, it's it was a really beautiful thing because um, I even was like, oh, I should say something. And then I was like, nope, looks like everyone else got it covered already. <laughs> like, wow. Um, so it's just really, it, that's really beautiful um, to think about. It is. Um, how would somebody find a group like that like is it just like a Facebook group or like do yeah, like how so it it kind of depends on where you are um I do know that a lot of major cities do have these they're typically called queer exchanges um and most likely if someone were on Facebook and they typed in like queer exchange like Boston queer exchange you know Worcester um or you know any city that they're nearby they're probably going to find something even smaller communities may have them um sometimes they are like really private because they want them to be safe spaces that can't get infiltrated um you know by people who suck um yeah <laughs> but I really, I do think there are a lot out there. Um, it just kind of, it's, you know, someone in the community just kind of has to start one. And then once it happens, they really blow up pretty quickly. There's like thousands of members in the one, um, for my city and it's crazy. So, uh, that's so awesome. Like, you know, I think that there's a lot of feeling alone in the LGBT community, especially for kids that are just coming out. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just really like awe inspiring to hear like there are so many people that are participating in a positive way in this group that are in one small location. Like that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And no, and it really, it really means a lot. Like, cause you can ask them anything. It could be like, I, I needed help getting a notary today. And someone in the queer exchange was like, I got you come on over here. And I was like, yes. So like, it could be the silliest thing or it could be like, I need support. I need a place to stay. And like, you know, I think the queer community is really good at supporting and, you know, helping each other and making sure that uh, no one gets left behind. And I think that's, that's really important and beautiful. Um, but, and, but it's also like, because of the fact that 
especially my my community and most of the queer community, I think, is so on board with, um, you know, doing work not just regarding LGBT things, but like the intersections of uh, that people live in too. Like so many queer folks, you know, are at protests for Black Lives Matter uh, mm -hmm. work. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about what's going on in Palestine right now. Um, but also, we are the queer communities, like one of their number one things that they talk about is mental health, um, like anywhere you go. And so they definitely really, really care. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, there are so many directions that we could go right now. I feel no. like we're both just like, where, <laughs> which direction do we choose? Um it's just so cool. I'm like, so impressed by the LGBT community. And um, that's like, why I'm so passionate about it is because it's just so amazing to see all of these people who are just like, I'm me, get the fuck over it. And I love myself. Like, mm -hmm. that is the most inspiring group of people I think exist in the world. Heck yeah. Well, thank you. I don't think we're all that cool, but... <laughs> oh, I think you are. <laughs> um, I'm sure that there are some asshole members of the LGBTQ. Yeah, not, yeah. not everyone is perfect. Not because they're queer, it's just because they suck. Um. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so... Hmm. How has you've said that you are a part of running these conferences and stuff too? Like, what's that like? And like, again, that must be a really cool experience to just see all these people come together. And yeah, um, the conferences are really awesome. I have been really thankful to be a part of that organization for so long. Um, and one of the things we also always make a priority during those conferences is mental health. And also because conferences are so overwhelming for anybody, you know, there's yeah. overstimulation, there's so many people, there's so much going on. Um, and we really pride ourselves in making sure that it's accessible um, in, you know, uh, like not just like physically accessible in terms of like people with disabilities or things like that, but also accessible for people's mental health. Um, so we try to make sure that there are, you know, quiet spaces in case people need to uh, a place that they can, you know, take a breather from all the hype and excitement. Um, we also try to make sure that there are like self care hours snuck in between the schedule. So people can like take a break, you know, eat food, like calm themselves, space out for a little while. Cause it's, it's a lot. Um, but overall, the conference has really helped me and really educated me, as I hope it has for so many people. There are typically uh, five or more um, workshops that get presented at the conference that surround around mental health topics. Um, I can't name anything specifically because there have been so many in the past few years. Um, but I know like it's always a it's always a big topic. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, where are the conferences? Is it always near where you live or is it like is um, it travel? I guess is what so I'm it's always because it's a Northeast LGBT conference. It's always somewhere in the Northeast. Um, it kind of depends on the school that grabs it. Um, so our last conference, I believe, was in New York. 
Um, and it also was founded at the SUNY schools in New York. So it kind of stays around New York pretty often. Um, but it can, you know, be anywhere in the, whatever's considered the Northeast, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, New Jersey, anything around there. Um, and again, it just kind of depends on the school that gets picked for it because schools have to submit a, uh, um, a bid for it. And then we, as the board, we choose like what school it goes to. That's so cool. How do people get involved in things like that? Like I want to, I want to join. Um, <laughs> I want to be involved. <laughs> you definitely should. We need board members. So, um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, for our conference, you can go, if you want to get involved or reach out, you can go to any LGBTC.org. Um, and we have our website and you can see all the information there. Um, otherwise, like, I don't know, Google's your friend. Like there are so many, um, different organizations out there and different whether they are like smaller um and more based in like specific cities or counties or things that are you know nationwide um there are lots and lots of conferences that happen um along the like in the states uh and you can like the northeast uh conference that typically happens in april we are kind of on a break right now because the panorama, I'm just kidding, because of COVID, <laughs> um, kind of, and the and the bad timing of losing our fiscal sponsor. So we are kind of taking a bit of a, a break right now, but there are so many other ones. There's the Creating Change Conference that happens typically in January. Um, there's the Midwest Conference. Um, it's called, everyone calls it Mumble Tech. Um, that one is kind of like our sibling organization. They do a very similar thing, but they do it within the Midwest. Um, and it's a, it caters to a lot more people than us. Yeah. Um, but there's also like day conferences. I know that there's one that happens in New Hampshire. Um, I know there's something that goes on at like the Cape and Boston. Um, there's also lots of cool organizations in Boston, like PFLAG. Um, there's GLAD with, you know, two A's. Uh, there's just, and those are just some of the bigger ones, but if you, um, if you Google it, I'm certain that anyone can find tons of cool clubs and, or LGBT centers and things. Um, I would hope, especially in Massachusetts, there would be some good ones. Yeah, I hope so too. That's really <laughs> cool. I never even thought like, you know, you would think in our day and age, we would just be like, yes, Google, tell me what to do. But I never think of things like that. And I'm just like, how do these things exist? And how do I be a part of them? <laughs> Yeah, it's real. But no, there's there. And usually people are so excited. Like if you if you just reach out and they're like, hey, like, what can I do? Can I do anything at all? And there's always like usually events going on. They need volunteers, stuff like that. Um, like it looks like there's one in Boston called Bagley. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think that might have been one I used to be a part of when I was in Boston when I um, or when I was think that might have been where the youth group that I worked with. I used to work with this queer youth group. Um, that was exactly what it sounded like. And it was a bunch of like middle school and high school, just like kids um, that identified within the community. And um, I don't know, kids of that age, regardless of what they identify as, are, are just weird as heck. So it was quite, it was quite a fun time to hang out with them and learn from them and stuff. Um, but yeah, so there's like Bagley, that's an organization that's in Boston. Uh, there's the Stonewall Center in Amherst, Mass. Like, I just Googled this and it was so easy. So, like, they definitely <laughs> They exist. Okay. 
Um. Huh. Oh, so one of the things that I talked about with you before we started this was I wanted to talk about how to respect people's pronouns um, and like tips and tricks because um, when I first got into the field, I really struggled. Um, I'm definitely very neurodivergent. I talked about that in my first podcast episode. Um, But so I really struggle with changing people's names. So I needed a lot of like tools to mm-hmm. make sure I was saying the right pronouns and make sure I was saying the right names for people mm-hmm. um, because that's super important like if you're not making an effort to respect people's pronouns then like you're just straight up being rude <laughs> yeah it's true I'm not using the correct pronouns like is it's practice it's pretty much a microaggression at that point yeah <laughs> like, which is extreme which like I assume, as you know, is extremely harmful um, to people. And like I was talking about earlier, can really have um, a negative impact on people's mental health. So it's definitely really important to use pronouns or at least try. Like the out of anything, it's it's not a big deal if you make a mistake. Um, I don't know any queer person, you know, who uses non-binary, like any type of non-binary pronouns that would get upset if someone just messed up and fixed it quickly. Like what's upsetting and hard is when people, one, don't even try, and two, make a big deal out of it when they do make a mistake because they're recentering the conversation around themselves when it's not about them. It's about the person that, like, you mess up their pronouns on. So the best thing you can do when you mess up someone's pronouns is just quickly say sorry and fix your mistake and move on. Yeah. Usually, like, I'll give an example. Do you mind if I use you as an example? Yeah, of course. Um, So usually I would say... Like, oh, now I can't even think of words to say. Like, I can't think of a sentence. <laughs> um, I would say she, they went to the store. And like, I usually just was, well, this is usually with my clients who I have a very long established relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're past the apologize. Like, the, they're like, just, just say the right pronoun and keep talking. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's totally fine, too. Again, like, no one's going to be upset about that. You fix it. And it's great. Um, It's also really important not to assume people's pronouns, because truthfully, you never know just by looking at them. Um, And so I think there needs to be more normalization around asking pronouns in just about any environment. Um, and a lot of people, especially of older generations, um, tend to be weirded out by that. But in reality, if everyone's doing it, then it's not weird. So it's not weird. <laughs> it's definitely like I think that I remember the first time somebody asked me my pronouns and I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it was more of like, a why are you addressing me and not like, why are you asking? <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely have made it a habit to ask more often um, and to confirm. So like, for instance, when we were discussing you coming on this podcast, I was like, I believe you use they, them pronouns. Is this correct? Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. the appropriate way to talk to someone and I think people just get really hung up on like how do I do this without being offensive right and like 
the point is to just ask and move on instead of getting really stuck on it. And it's okay to double check and to make sure you're being correct. Exactly. 100%. Um, yeah, that's, that's really mostly, I think, it with. Do you have any, like, so I have one trick that I've learned that's really helped me, yeah. and that's to think in their pronouns or their new name. That has been a huge game changer to me because I wasn't doing that before. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's partially because, like, I'm stuck in the paperwork world and, like, not everything gets changed over in there. So, like, my brain flip-flops between the both and then I just crash. <laughs> essentially Mm -hmm. um but once I started thinking in the correct pronoun first of all it feels a lot better because you're not misgendering somebody in your brain um but also like I mess up a lot less yeah that's a that's definitely a good tool um I think another good trick is to just write it down everywhere any anywhere you have that person's name in your phone like in their their your email contact um on paperwork like wherever you can um just anytime you're you write down their name or have it anywhere just write in their pronouns next to it and that helps a lot um because then if you know they call you you see it like then it's just a constant reminder that's a really good idea. I think that I should, like, we should just have a spot in the contact info. Somebody needs to write to Apple and tell them. Right? Like, yeah, pronouns. I agree. That on it, so Come on. Like, Apple can do it, too. I agree. That's actually a smart idea. Um, <laughs> what about um, for names? Do you have any, like, is there anything different that you would say for names in regards to remembering them and making sure you're using the correct name? Um, I don't think so. Um, another thing that I think is important though, or that I, I just thought of, um, is also to ask folks not only what their pronouns are, but also to check in with them about where they want those pronouns or names used. Um, because yeah. sometimes people aren't out everywhere. Um, they're only, they might only be out like in a close knit friends group, but not, might not be out to their parents. Um, this is especially important for, um, you know, adolescents and just like younger folks um, who are still living in their parents' house. Um, So it's just really important to check like not only what they are, but also like where can you call them that? And if there are any other names that they should be called, like any other place, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And it's also important too, I would love to talk about the safety around coming out. Um, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes our like, in a lot of ways, the culture encourages people to come out now. Like, you know, like the positive LGBTQ culture wants people to come out. But I don't think that we have enough conversations about safety and coming out. And that includes emotional safety. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have talked to some people who have come out and then they've kind of realized that their home environment isn't really safe and they've had to almost like backpedal back into the closet and I was like Mm -hmm. oh it's just so if that's alone is so emotionally detrimental to people to have to go back and forth when you're trying to really figure out who you are as a person and Mm -hmm. you like start to be confident in it and then you have to be like oh but it's fine mom you can keep calling me yeah definitely 
that is really important. I think emotional safety and just safety in general is definitely an issue. Um, even just thinking like the reason I want to do the work I want to do is because of the disproportionate amount of queer um, adolescents that are in foster care. And it's because they're queer that they're, they're there. <laughs> Um, most oh of the time, like because they get kicked out of their homes. Um, also because they don't have, they're not as likely to get into a, um, what's called like a permanency um, household. Um, so like they're less likely to get placed in more permanent housing situations, whether that be like in adoption or um, or otherwise, um, just because they, they typically bounce from like group home uh, to group home or from, you know, different foster homes and stuff like that. Um, now I don't want to get too distracted, but like, this is, this is totally important. So like there is a big, a big thing with coming out. Um, and people need to, people, I think in the queer community should feel, um, completely in control over it. Like if they don't want to come out or they don't feel like they're in a safe place to come out, like they should not be pressured. And I think that's really important that anybody outside of you know, that person who's close to that person, whether they're also queer or just an ally or friend, like they should not be, they should not pressure that person into coming out ever. Um, cause it's totally up to them. Absolutely. Um, do you have any tips that you would give anyone, even if it's just like regular self-care stuff, like what would you say to somebody that would be listening that wants to come out, but they're not ready? Like, how do you take care of your mental health when you're in that position? Mm, So (sighs) tough one. I would, I would suggest like finding, because I don't, most likely the case is like, maybe they just don't want to come out completely or Mm -hmm. whatever, but like find one trusted person that you can come out to, um, and or like a therapist if you have if that's accessible to you um because i do think it's really important to not like hold all of that in um and keep it to yourself um because that's just going to make you explode um so i think having you know at least one friend or like a small community of friends um is really really important to uh your your mental health state um like it's totally, totally okay if you don't want to come out um, to your parents or like at school or like in a certain environment, but you shouldn't just like keep to yourself because that's just going to end up hurting you. Um, uh, what else yes. can I say? Like- <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that even if it's just finding like a Facebook group or something like that, where like, maybe you don't know anyone personally, but you can look at and even just observe from afar, like what other people are doing and what other people are saying in a safe way, in a safe environment. And then like, then maybe the next step is finding that one like person in real life that you can talk to, because I think it's important to be able to ask questions and explore appropriately. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. I also think it's important to make sure you have it like for when someone does want to come out, um, especially if it has to do with their housing situation, like make sure they have a backup plan of somewhere they can go in case it, it goes poorly. Absolutely. Which I know is a sad thing to think about, but I do think it's important. Yeah. What would, I feel like we should also talk about what you would say to a parent. So like, I think that a lot of my audience is probably about our age and have young kids. 
So I think maybe having a little bit of a conversation around like, how do you support your child? Like if you yourself have questions and you don't understand and like, how do you move forward? Um, What are your opinions on this? I have how I've dealt with it. That is a really good um, question of thought. And I appreciate that because it is, um, you know, one of the main factors for a kid's uh, like mental health is like if mm-hmm. their parents support them or not. So that is really important. Um, I think that as parents, uh, you should one like first and foremost uh, reassure your kid that they are loved um, and they are accepted and that you know, no, like no matter what, and this is like something that just isn't important, doesn't, you know, obviously it's important because it's a part of who they are, but it's not like anything that would affect your love and care for them. That's like the number one most important thing. Um, Two, if you have questions, um, don't bother your kid with them because like they've already got a lot enough stuff going on. Um, I think it's important to have a conversation about like uh, their... I guess like where their comfort level is in that. Um, and, but I would, I would, you know, do research and get educated um, on your own. Um, look for other parents of queer kids, like find your own community in that. Um, yeah. Also like re- again with like reaching out to different centers, um, organizations, cause like there's plenty of um, like reading material on the web and, especially for parents. Um, but like, that's just another thing you shouldn't have to burden your kid with. Absolutely. Uh, that's a good point. I, I haven't really thought about it from that lens. Yeah. That often, but, um, so what I get a lot is, well, it's probably just a phase because they're too young to even think that way. Yeah. Um, so what I usually say, and I'm curious if you agree or disagree or what, or if you have a tip for me. Um, but I usually say like, so what if it is a phase? Why does it hurt you to go along with it and like continue to educate yourself while like respecting whatever they have to say? And if for some reason, quote unquote, it's a phase, then it will go away. And if it's not, then you respected your child. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. Um, I think that the word phase is harmful. Absolutely. Um, I do think that sexuality and gender identities are fluid and that lots of people change throughout their lives. Um, you know, like I only came out as gender fluid a few years ago. And so um, like, I, I don't know, I wouldn't consider this a phase now, but I also do consider like, I I don't know, just to be living all over the place. Like sometimes I feel feminine. Sometimes I feel masculine. Like, I don't know. Like sometimes I don't mind she, her pronouns, but it's like, so it's each, every, like my, my switch every single day. Is that just a phase each day that I'm just like going back? Right. Right. You know, like, I I just think, sorry. (laughs) No. Yeah. I think that, um, the word, like, I agree with you because I think the word phase has been used in a negative way way Uh like there are phases like you know there are phases of the moon there are phases of your day there are phases of everything and like I think there is an appropriate way to use it and but I agree like society doesn't use it exactly what I think parents should recognize is just like what you said is that 
again, like sexuality and gender identities are fluid and your kid might go through a lot of different quote phases in trying to figure out their identity and they may not get it right right away. I used to identify as bisexual. Good Lord. I am not bisexual. Like I don't, and like, <laughs> I'm just like, that's just me. Like I, I, it's okay for, for kids to want to test different labels and try different things out and see what fits for them. And if something doesn't work out, not a big deal. Maybe they're going to move on. Maybe they're going to just like take a few steps back. It's okay. The important thing that parents need to do is like you said, like support them no matter what. Um, and you know, just like get that phase language or thought like out of your head. Cause it's not helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I usually encourage parents to do is that as kids have questions of their own, like teaching them how to research it appropriately, Uh I also encourage parents to talk about sexual health Uh because I am not convinced that LGBT sexual health is taught in school. Nope, definitely not. Not one. (laughs) So I usually try to prompt them to look into those things because- it's always about sex when these things are brought up with parents for the most part. Like, oh, they're too early. It's too early for them to have sex. It's They're too young. They can't be having these thoughts, blah, 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 blah. And I think it's just they don't understand and they get scared and then they don't they don't know how to protect their kid. Um, so I think educating yourself on sexual wellness in general is going to be really helpful. And then you know how to help your kid do that too. And like, it's okay for you to like, I obviously you want to make sure you're on a good site, but like, it's okay for you to like do the research with your kid and show them how to look these things up. Like it's all learning experiences and it's okay for you to learn with your child. Definitely. I totally agree. Um, I think in addition to that, uh, it's also really important to make sure that the medical bro- provider that works with your kid is LGBT friendly, because um, that's really important um, to make sure that they're being respected um, when they have to go to the doctors. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, a really good um, spa- uh, spot to look at um, sexual health information for LGBT youth, especially is the GSA network. Um, and I'm pretty sure you can just go to gsanetwork.org um, and you can find lots of resources, but they have a really good page about, um, and just like good, easy to read information about sexual health, um, especially for queer youth. Um, so that's really good resource for people. Um, but I definitely agree with you that it is important to, educate yourself on the differences between, you know, sexual health in the queer community versus, um, you know, the straight community, but, um, and not just that, but also like the, the stigmas and taboos around it, like, especially regarding HIV and all those things. And like, you want to make sure that you and your kid are both, um, educated on all that. Absolutely. All right. So um, I have like a couple of just like fun end of podcast questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So what is your favorite and most helpful coping skill? (sighs) Well, that's fun. Um, For me, it's, I think it's, it's journaling. 
Um, but not in like a, I'm just going to write and write and write and write kind of way. I um, am more of like a scrapbooking kind of journaler uh, where like I'll use my planner and I'll uh, use a lot of stickers and a lot of pictures and stuff like that. Um, but just like writing through everything and like just that's like it's really grounding for me. Um, so that's one thing that I do. I think like journaling in any method is, is good. And if there is one thing that somebody would take away from our podcast today, what would it, you want them to take away? Oh man. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talked about so many good things. I know. Um, I think like the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for people should be to, um, respect queer folks and respect that they know what they are talking about. Um, in regards to themselves more than anyone else. Um, so even if you think that they don't know what they're talking about or, uh, you know, in regards to it being a phase or whatever, like they do because they are the only person that can know themselves um, completely. And so just trust that and respect them and support them. Yes, I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cam, for making time for me today. I can't wait for everyone to love your episode. And I hope you have a fabulous day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so fun. It was so great to hear your voice, too, and talk to you. Yes. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.